and it seems to be working pretty well. Uh, this week, um, I had the opportunity to work with 7th uh, and 8th grade uh, students, and uh, one of the things I was doing was preparing them for videotaping that they were going to do that day, and I talked to them about speaking out, and I was telling them that I can speak very quietly, or I can speak a little louder so I can be heard in a classroom, or if I ever go outside, I'm not going to do that anymore. But the point is that uh, God has given me a uh, megaphone for a voice, and uh, part of it is how you produce it, but part of it is uh, he, I was just born loud. And uh, so uh, that's helpful in many cases. When I was principal of, uh, school, of schools in Atwater, I had two different superintendents uh, that would, when they needed attention of someone, would say, Earl, will you get the people's attention? And I would get their attention for them because, by the way, there's no one harder to quiet down than teachers and administrators in schools. They make the children look quiet. I will tell you that. Anyhow, we returned from a vacation, which we have greatly enjoyed. We went back and watched God do a new painting on the scene back in the Ozarks as the leaves were changing. And it's always interesting to me that we think uh, having moving pictures that change automatically is something brand new. God's been doing it for centuries, uh, changing the, the landscape as we go along. And it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, Fifty years ago last spring, I graduated from John Brown University in Salem Springs, Arkansas with a bachelor's degree. And this is the first time in 50 years I've been back. And I said something to my wife, and she reminded me that isn't quite true. There are only five buildings on the campus left that were there when I was there. And so I said, all the rest of the buildings are new. And she said, Earl, it's been 50 years. <laughs> so maybe they're not quite new. But anyhow, the campus looks a lot different than it did. And we greatly enjoyed that time. Um, and my commercial. First of all, Sunday school. The Sunday school emphasis went really well. And I really appreciate all the people that came and people that worked and contacted people and so on. But did you know that it continues to go well? We've had Sundays that had more people than we had any time during the Sunday school emphasis. So thank you. And I would invite those of you that don't go to Sunday school to come and join us uh, in Sunday school. We have some great classes and some great teachers. Uh, my second commercial and the last one is Trunk or Treat. Uh, let me encourage you to be involved in that. It, there's just not much more fun than watching little kids in their costumes coming around for the candy. Now, if you're concerned, uh, if I go and I open my trunk, what kind of game could I possibly have for the kids? Anything they will enjoy. It doesn't matter. Uh, put a hopscotch uh, thing on the ground and uh, see if they can do it in chalk. And if they do it, they get candy. And if they don't do it, they get candy. Uh, you know, when, I, when, when I've done it in the past, if they were able to do what I wanted them to do, they got two pieces of candy. And if they weren't, they got one. But the point is that this is really quite simple, and it's a lot of fun. And I want to encourage you to be here on Halloween night. Now, some of you are looking at me and say, but I have family activities on that day. 
and I understand that. If you have children going trick-or-treating, I can't really believe, think of anywhere better for them to be here than here, but if you have family activities, then guess what? You get to give candy, and you just bring that candy on in. And so if you'll write on your, on your uh, uh, little sheet that you tore off, or there will be, um, or there will be uh, uh, sign-ups right outside the door uh, for that. So I just wanted that to remind you of that. That's commercial for the day. Please be sure that you participate. This is an important time. We really don't want to leave Desiree with hundreds of children. This has been growing out of the neighborhood. It's a good way to contact the neighborhood. It's a good way to get people on the campus. One of the things that you find is people are sometimes reluctant to come on church campuses. But if you can get them there in some other capacity, it's part of the reason why we do the food trucks on Thursday. If you can get them there in some other capacity, it's much easier to get them from there to here than it is from over there to here. Okay? So that's good. Last week, Pastor Dave talked to you about me to you. It's a series we call Soul, Soul, Soul Shift, and the reason why we call it Soul Shift is because there's actually a book. And let me encourage you to go on the Wesleyan Publishing uh, site and buy the book, Soul Shift. It's a fine book and one that I think you will find useful, even though you're going to hear most of it right here from this pulpit, and that's important. Did you ever wonder who you are? Did you ever wonder what the circumstances of your birth were? Did you ever wonder where your family came from? Did you ever wonder if you were related to somebody really important? Maybe uh, your royalty, and you just didn't know it. Maybe your relative was with Cortez, or with the Mayflower, or perhaps with Montezuma, or Pontiac. Uh, one of the great Indian leaders, or Tecumseh. Uh, maybe one of your relatives was a president. Those are things that we seem to like to know. And it's interesting to me the number of commercials that are on, are on right now to look up your ancestry and find out who you're related to and where they lived. And, and people are, when you listen to the commercials, they're all excited about what they find out. Did you know that there is a religious group that have 2.4 million rolls of microfilm with over 2 billion people's ancestry. It's kept in uh, a Granite Mountain Records vault in the Washash uh, Mountain Range. And it is uh, supposed to be uh, able to be hit by an atomic blast and still remain, even then. So uh, people are interested in where they come from and who they are. But let me get another question arises from that idea, however. Who are you? Who are you? Really, who are you? As an individual, who, you, who are you? We are who we are today as the result of a lot of things. We're born with some kind of personality. And that personality then that we're born with is developed by our family, by teachers, by friends, neighbors, circumstances, experiences, and we are the sum total 
of all of those things. And some of us have re received pretty positive messages about ourselves, but most of us have received some really negative messages about ourselves. When I was in early elementary school, we had at least two, and my, my, at least two that my mother told me about, teachers who at parent conference talked to her about Earl, and he was a nice little boy, but he wasn't very smart. He was having difficulty learning to read, and he wasn't very bright, and you really shouldn't expect too much out of him. I hope that you understand that they were wrong. <laughs> I'm concerned if you think they were still right. But that was a message that was given to me and stayed with me for a long time. I was a senior in, in my bachelor's degree in college before I really understood that I was pretty smart. Even though I got A's in high school, even though I did pretty well in high school, and I did even better in college, yet I still believed that was all an accident. That there was some accident that went on that happened to get me those grades because I, I was sort of a likable guy. And so the teachers liked me, so they gave me good grades. My senior year of college, I was able to help a professor with a study about students, and I went back and looked at records. In those days, you couldn't look at your own records. But because I was doing the study, I got to look at the records that the university had about me. And to my absolute shock, I was in the top 10% of my graduating class in high school. I could hardly believe that that was true. It took all of that time before I understood that I was pretty smart. Having said that, I still have those times that I struggle with that because we are made up of all of these things. So the question is, who are you really and where do you get your information from? Where do you get your information from? How do you get information about who you really are and, and what you are capable of? Well, there's a parable, and I think that scriptures are going to come up. I'm not going to read this whole scripture, but it's up there for you to look at, I hope. Is it? Good. Thank you. Good. Uh, I'm not going to read it to you, however. What I'm going to do is tell you the God's version of this story. This is one of the most famous stories that Christ ever told. And this story is, is a message of redemption. That's how we usually see it. We usually see this story as a message of redemption, that those who go wrong live in a, in a, with God in a time of redemption, that we can come back, that we are not permanently messed up when we mess up, that there is redeeming time. And that's one of the great messages that we have. After all, this message has been sung, this message has been danced. This message has been written in all kinds of forms. Uh, there have been writers who stole this plot and never gave God credit for it uh, and, and had it. Uh, it's been enacted in theaters in various forms. It's been preached by pastors. And when you think about who has sung this song, for those that are interested, did you know the Ro Rolling Stones had a song about this? Kid Rock had a song about this. 
You too had a song about this. Now I tell you those things not because I know them personally, but because I was told. My family would tell you that I don't listen to that. that. Not because I think it's evil necessarily, but because I just don't listen to that. I like to make music. I'm not too interested in listening to it. But I love to make music. But listening somehow just doesn't turn me on. And so I don't know for a fact, I never heard it, but they tell me that they have those songs. Uh, Every time this prodigal story is told, the message, like I say, is the same. That God still loves prodigals and they get a second chance. But did you know, I think there's a better story here. There's a better plot than that in this story. So, let's start on the story. First of all, you know there are two sons. They worked on daddy's farm. One of them was, as you might guess, one was older, one was younger. The younger one was pretty self-absorbed. And he decided that the farm was way too boring for him to stay. So he said to himself, I should, Dad should give me the money that's going to be coming to me, and I should be able to do what I want to with it. Well, this kid not only was thinking that, but he decided to go tell Dad. So he went to tell Dad. He says, let's divide up the money now, and you give me my inheritance now, and I'll do with it what I want to. Now, first of all, that's insulting. All he wanted was dad's money. He really didn't care about dad. He just wanted dad's money. And in the society in which they lived, asking that question implied that dad might as well be dead already. That was the implication of what this young, self-absorbed kid said, was he suggested that dad was dead already. Now, really, Dad wasn't obligated to give him anything at this point, but Dad graciously agreed and evenly divided the inheritance so that the older son got his, the younger son got his, uh, and the young man immediately packed up, put his suitcases in, paid $25 a suitcase to go on the plane, and he uh, left. And he went to a far country. He probably got on a 757 and, and flew to some other country. And there he was in the far country. And it was, eat, drink, and be merry. That, that was the time it was. Boy, he had a great time spending that money. He had all kinds of friends. He was really popular. He put on parties. People, he was the party to go to. And he paid for all of that. And people went along with him. The only problem was, guess what? He ran out of money. And when he ran out of money, a famine came to the land. Some banks had loaned money to people who couldn't afford to pay it back. And then they had turned those loans into derivatives that they could sell pieces of. And the whole thing crashed. And they were in economic trouble. And there were no jobs. The young man went to some of those people that had been his friends, and they pretended they'd never seen him before. Didn't know him, didn't have anything for him. He couldn't find a job. After all, he was a stranger in that country. It wasn't where he was. I'm not even sure he spoke the, same, the language. And there he was. Well, he sort of got lucky. He found a job feeding pigs. 
Now, this young man is a Jewish young man. He does not eat pigs. He doesn't eat pork. It's against the law. And yet, there he was, stuck, feeding this unclean animal and rolling around in the mud with them. By the way, we may not roll around in the physical mud when we're in the condition this young man's in, but we roll around in some really awful mud often if we get away from God and away from our families and do those things that the Satan says, is, oh, this will be fun. I had a young man in, uh, uh, I forget whether he was 7th or 8th grader, after school, and he, we were talking about the issue of drugs. And I said, I'm, not, I'm going to admit to you, when you first take them, they'll probably feel good. But I said, then you're going to fall off in a hole, and you'll wish you'd never been here. And we talked about that for a little while. That often is true of sin. Often sin doesn't feel, it feels pretty good, or it doesn't feel that bad at the beginning. But there's always a result. And the result of this young man's self-absorption and, and selfishness was that he was rolling around in the mud with the pigs. And he wished that he could have the pig food. He just wished he could have the slop. That's what farmers call it. I know because my father-in-law told me. Uh, He wished he could have the slop that the pigs ate, the pods and so on that the pigs ate. He He was so hungry, he wished he had that. Well, one day he woke up and he said to himself, this is a really dumb thing I've done. What I need to do is go back to Dad. Because dad's poorest servant eats better than I do, has better clothes than I have, lives better than I do. I know what I will do. I will go back home. And I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against you and everybody else. I've sinned against God. I've done a terrible, terrible, terrible thing would you just take me back as one of your lowly servants? Not as son, I don't expect that. Just as one of your lowly servants. And so somehow he scraped up enough money to get on the airplane and come home. He got back home, and he went out to the farm. And when he was a long way off, Dad, whom I'm quite certain every day went out on his porch and looked down the road to see if his son was coming. And on that day, Dad went out on his porch and looked down, and there he was. It was unmistakable. He was a long ways away. He couldn't see his face distinctly, but he knew that walk. He knew who that was. It was his son. And he began to run to his son. What I have to tell you about that that we don't realize is Men in the Middle East in this period of time, older men, did not run. And it wasn't because their knees had been changed. I don't run. It's my knees. Okay? But in this time, older men just didn't run. It was undignified. Even Aristotle said, great men do not run. That's what he said. Great men do not run. So try to imagine, dad owns a big farm, many, many servants on this big farm. 
He is well thought of in the community. He is a leader in the community. And here is this man with great dignity, taking off with his flowing robes, running down the, the way to meet his son. And when he met his son, he began to run up and to embrace him. And his son said, Dad, Dad, don't do that. I've sinned against you and against heaven. And I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me a lowly servant. Just make me a lowly Before he could finish that, Dad said, hey, let's get the best robe we have in, ta- in the house and get it out here. You servants, go get my signet ring. We're going to bring it out here. He needs new sandals. Let's go. Come on, guys, get it and get busy. And by the way, you guys over there, go kill the fatted calf and get ready for a party. Because my son who was dead is alive. Who was lost is found. And the story goes on. There was a great, farm, there was a great, uh, great party. We won't talk about the older son and his reaction to that this morning. But I want you to see what happened here. Here is this man who says, I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. I'm only worthy to be a lowly servant. And his father said, oh, you're kidding. You're my son. You always were my son. You always will be my son. You're my son. Take the place of honor as my son. I won't hear of this servant thing. You are my son. You are my son. There is the story, not just one of redemption, but one of understanding who he really was. He was this man's son. He was not a servant. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. And we think about it. And it's a really important story for Christians and for others. If you know Jesus Christ, you are the child of God. There is a cacophony of voices out there telling you what you should be. If you don't have this particular uh, makeup, uh, you can never be beautiful. If you don't have these particular clothes, you can never be stylish. If you don't have this new gadget, you're just, boy, are you out of it. A cacophony of stories. You're wrong, you're dumb, you're ugly. And by the way, nobody likes you. That seems to be so often the message that is sent by many people. It's a message that our young people, did you know that children, according to the research, hear 17 negative things for every one positive? Even in good homes. We have a cacophony of voices telling us we are inadequate. That we are dumb and can't take care of ourselves. I think the government tells us that all the time. That we don't have any talent, we don't have any ability. But I've got news for you, friend. We are a child of God. We are not slaves. We are children of God. 
so very important for us to understand. We are children of God. Now, I'm not here to make somebody feel guilty because they they, they Some of us are dealing with chemical issues inside of our body over which we have only minimal control. Some of us have lived a life where the thing that dominates our, our thinking and our background is a period of failure, or at least when we were told we were failures. And these things are so harsh that we have trouble overcoming them. But what I know is God has already overcome them, and now we work with him to make that real. And if you don't make it real tomorrow, don't feel guilty about it. Just keep understanding, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. And though I feel like I failed, God still says, I am not a slave, I am a child of God. When I go before the... I'm, I'm, I just skipped all of this. When I go before... When I go before the throne of grace, I don't go in there as a slave. I don't walk in with my head down, wondering if God is going to be interested in what I have to say or not. But rather, I'm going to walk into that throne room with confidence. Why? Because I am his child. I don't have to beg for God to hear me, for God to be concerned with me. I am his child. He has told me that I can come before the throne with confidence. With confidence. He has also told me that I am a priest among priests. We are priests and kings. On this earth, we struggle with so many things. But what we have to understand is we are children of God. And when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we are his child, we no longer have to wonder. We may still have work to do, I was talking to someone the other day and we were talking about the fact that we're born with a childhood and some of us have really good childhoods and some of us have really lousy childhoods. But the other thing that happens is then after that we start picking up garbage along the way. We begin to pick up garbage along the way. Failures that may in fact have been failures. Or failures that people tell us are failures. We do things we wish we hadn't done. And we carry that on our back, too. And the load gets heavy. And our knees begin to buckle. And when we find Christ, we need to stand up straight and say, I am a child of God. And from time to time, my knees may still buckle. But what I know is he's still there. He's still there. He's still calling and working with me. And so I may feel like I'm a failure, but I don't believe God ever thinks you're a failure of his child. He thinks you're learning. 
You're understanding. You're growing. And you and he together will work it out. It may take time. It may be painful. But you are not a slave. He says we are no longer slaves to sin. We no longer have to sin. I don't believe we have to sin a little bit every day. Some of my very good Christian friends believe we sin sin every day in thought, word, and deed. I don't think we have to sin every day. Do we make mistakes along the way? Yeah. Do thoughts come into our minds that we're not pleased or there? But I always remember what my mother said, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you don't have to let it nest in your hair. So negative thoughts or even sinful thoughts may come, but it comes in one place and it keeps on flying. We don't let it nest. We don't let it nest. And if we feel like we have failed, we can go back to our brother who is Jesus. Back to our Father. And seek His help and forgiveness. And we can know with assurance it is there. We don't have to worry about it. It's there. This morning we were talking in class about the fact of guilt. And part of the reason some people feel guilty is because they are. The church doesn't make people guilty. The church does not make people guilty. People are guilty. What the church does is give God's message of what to do with that guilt and how to handle it and to come before the throne of grace and accept Christ as Savior and be real with him and let him carry that load and take it away. And I don't have to carry it anymore. Unfortunately, it keeps coming back, doesn't it? But every time it comes back, we seek his face. We go into that throne with confidence and know. What I want you to do today is to move from slave to child. Seeking God's blessing, hoping God will bless me, hoping God hears me, to knowing that he hears me and will bless me. And when things get tough, there are some awful things that go on in the world. And we get to experience those. But when those things get tough like that, what we know is when we are with him, he will bring good out of that thing. That's not to say that thing is good. What I'm saying is, in the midst of the awful tragedies that sin have brought in our world, he will bring good. And so our task becomes going through with him and looking for what good thing he will do as a result of this. I had never been in the hospital. I'd been there a couple of days when I was younger, but it was no big deal and I got out right away. And then I had that experience where I was in the hospital for nine days, sick as be. I hurt everywhere. That was not a good thing. But friends, good came out of it. When I make a hospital visit now, I know 
what it's like. I can not only sympathize, I can empathize. Would I choose to go through that experience so I could do that? No way in the world. That's not something I'd ever choose, but God brought good out of it. I was fortunate enough, and I don't mean to brag, and I don't mean to make any of you feel bad, but I think it's important for you to understand. I was fortunate enough that I had a wife who was there all day, and I had children who slept with me every night in the room. And there were times that I was just out of it. And I'll tell you, I am strong. So you put one of those things on your leg where it's moving the leg. You put the bar on the bed. Guess what I do? I get out. When I was, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm way too strong to do that. If it wasn't for my children, I very likely could have hurt myself. And so I learned that my family really does, they're not just telling me they love me. They demonstrated it. What good came out of that? Much closer as a family. And I can be empathetic. And I'm sure other good things happened with it. So even though that's not something I would choose to do, even though it was a terrible experience, God brought good out of it because why? Because I am a child of God. You are a child of God. When you're in the midst of trial and problem and hurt, look for the good that God will bring out of it. When I want to go before the throne of God, know that I can go without having to be a beggar. I am a son. Or you are a daughter of God's. And we approach him with confidence. God loves you. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, he loves you. He wants to know you. All you need to do is come before the throne of grace and say, Lord, I know I'm a Savior, but I also know you can save me by grace. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive all I've done. And what we know from Scripture is he will do it. And he will do it with joy. With joy. This morning, for just a minute, if you would close your eyes, bow your head. If there's any of you that don't know Christ as Savior, or maybe you've moved so far away you don't know for sure whether you're Christ as the Savior, I want to ask our pastoral staff to take a look around during this time. But if you want us to be praying for you, and if you want to make that commitment to Christ, just lift your hand. Just lift your hand. Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you. Now, friends, if you're one of those people that are struggling with whether or not of actually acting like a child of God instead of a servant, and you'd like us to pray for you, you can write it down on that slip. We'll be glad to pray for you, or you can lift your hand right now. If you'd like us to pray for you because you're struggling with this issue of am I a slave or am I a child? And do I act like a child or do I act like a slave? Just lift your hand for us. Okay. One in the back. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I am your child.
Help me to have the confidence to know that I am your child. Help me to have the confidence to act as your child. Help me to have the power to overcome as your child would overcome. Guide in my life that when people look at me, they look at me as a child of God and realize that you are in my life and working in my life. If there are things getting in the way, Father, I just ask that you will deal with those this morning. Do what you have to to get me in the place you want me to be. I thank you for making me a child of yours. In Jesus' name, amen.